0: Between the golden age of Atlantis and the rise of recorded history, there were ages undreamed of. Hither came heroes and villains possessing swords and magic, whose deeds became tales and legends. I have come to relate these sagas. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Welcome back to Days of High Adventure. I'm your host, Clinton Robinson, bringing you another epic tale. And what tale is that? Well, if you were paying attention last episode or looking at the show notes, you know that it is Arak, Son of Thunder, annual number one from DC Comics. This bad boy came out in 1984, folks. You won't mistake it though, because by golly, somehow there's only one volume of Eric's stories, one annual in that volume. But I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? Because we're n- we're new to Eric on this podcast, kinda, sorta. You're more familiar with him than I am, probably. Because I only recently within the last few years became a fan of Eric. But again, getting a little ahead of myself, because who is Eric if for just completely new to the idea? Well, Eric is mm, kinda sorta essentially the DC Conan, but not. In fact, he is probably more different than similar. Uh, was he created by Roy Thomas, the famous scribe of Conan stories from over at Marvel? Yes, does he run around shirtless and swing a sword and get treated as an outcast barbarian? Yes. However, uh, instead of being from uh, Samaria, Eric is well. By all technicalities, he's a Native American. He is from the, uh, how do you say it, Quantalka tribe? I'm sure that is something Roy made up. If it's not, do please let me know, folks. I would really hate for that to be just sitting out there. But yeah, he kind of starts out more or less as a, uh, a Conan clone. But he quickly, and I do mean quickly, evolves into his own character. He very much takes on the Native American aspect. He, he has the mohawk haircut, which, as the series goes on, he exchanges that for a, a longer hairstyle, which, quite frankly, looks really, really awesome. He's... And before you draw the comparison, he's really about as far removed from Apache Chief, the uh, Native American Super Friends character, as you can get. Because, I mean, he, by modern standards, yeah, he is still a bit of a, a stereotype, a cliche, that kind of thing. But for the 1980s, I mean, this this was a pretty progressive character. I mean you can still draw a lot of the uh the Conan similarities too because he has his own red sonya in the form of Valda but uh unlike red sonya Valda very much prefers like heavy chain armor none of this bikini mail Eric tends to uh, differentiate from Conan as well because he doesn't necessarily fight you know HP Lovecraft kind of monsters He finds stuff from uh, mythology and legends, and he crosses over between stuff like Greek and Norse and Judeo-Christian and Muslim, and... Again, again, I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? Okay, okay. So let's just steal a little bit from Wikipedia here, okay? Eric is a comic book character, and... Somewhat of a superhero, sort of, kind of, but really he's, he's a sword and sorcery hero. As we said, he's published by DC Comics. Eric first appeared in a special insert in The Warlord, number 48, back in August of 19... 19- ...and he quickly spun off into his own title. Eric's Son of Thunder lasted 50 issues and one annual... This annual that we're going to talk about, uh, the Eric annual is set roughly between the events of like issues 37 and 38, I believe it's right in there in the late 30s. It, I mean it, it plainly tells you like this is continuing the main story. they just kind of needed like a double sized issue to sort of bring a conclusion for the most part. Eric has no connection to the rest of the DC universe. Until their little event called Convergence. In which Brainiac has taken Eric and kind of, you know, cybernetically of the story. And we're not going to worry about that. Because that's neither here nor there. And it's definitely not sword and sorcery. It's not a fantasy story. We're going to assume it just doesn't exist. The only other real connection Eric would have to the DC Universe is that Remco made World of Warlord action figures, which were basically He-Man knockoffs. Yeah, yeah, I know you Remco purists are going to be up in arms, but let's call a spade a spade. Produced... Characters from Warlord, Hercules, and Arak. So, you know, there there are Arak figures out there if anybody's a huge collector. So, I suppose we should probably hop into this, huh? Arak, Son of Thunder, annual number one. As we said, out in 1984. The title of the story is Arach in the Lair of the Serpent Lord. I mean, if that doesn't hook you already. It is written by Roy and Dan Thomas. Colors by Adrian Roy. Letters by L. Lois Buhalis, Featuring art from Ron Randall, Rick Magyar, Adrian Gonzalez, Rodin Rodriguez, Alfredo Alcala, Gerald Fortin, Tony DeZuniga, and Ernie Cologne. Folks, normally you see that many artists working on a book. It's going to be a disaster. You know, we, we already discussed stuff like that when I talked about that Red Sonia two-parter. I'm going to give you some spoilers right now this many artists brought in for this is a celebration, not extra work assignments for folks to try and catch up. I promise you. So our story starts off with Eric and his satyr friend, Satyricus, trying to deliver a sword to the serpent lord in order to rescue some of their friends. They are beset by desert raiders. However, Eric is... Quick to give them the sword in exchange for Satyricus' life. When the bandit's leader opens up the package to see the sword, however, it blinds him and he runs off screaming with his cohorts behind. And there's a reason it blinds him. This sword is flaming. The blade of it is on fire, folks, as soon as you unsheath it. You know why? If you read the story, you'd know why. This is supposedly, as Eric puts it, supposedly, the sword that the archangel... Was it Gabriel, he says? Or Michael? Give me a moment, I am flipping through. Okay, I am not seeing it right off. He says it it was the weapon of an avenging angel flame with the fury of an angry god, because this is the flaming sword that prevent Adam and Eve from returning to the Garden of Eden. Eric does not believe in angels, or the Judeo-Christian god, and much as Satyricus you know, only believes in the Greek pantheon. So, you know, it is what it is, but Eric, through force of will alone, calms the blade and manages to resheath it because this thing is mighty, folks. As the two continue on, they are beset by a sandstorm which separates the two. Eric sees visions of his past before awakening in what appears to be one of his native villages. While Satyricus awakens, um, well, let's just say it, he's down under, and we ain't talking about Australia, folks. He's in Hades. So, which should we focus on first? I'm going to focus on Satyricus first, because Satyricus has a lovely run-in with the boatmen to cross the River Styx. Satyricus has no money, uh, He encounters his mentor, the centaur Chiron, who beckons him across. And, of course, you know, that makes the boatman mad. Satyricus gets the boatman's scythe and hacks him down, proving to be one of the most heroic acts he's ever done. He even fights down the three-headed dog Cerberus and helps Chiron to escape from Hades, and the two find themselves in a pastoral Greece. Meanwhile, our hero, Eric manages to save what appears to be members of his tribe from uh, tattooed raiders. And they aren't just appearing to be his tribe, they are his tribe, including his mother and grandmother, who recognize him. They even tell him to give up the sword, give it to the grandfather, who is the elder of the village. Which Eric almost does until he realizes that his grandfather has called him Eric, not his native name. So, of course, it is a clue that it is all a trap by the Serpent Lord. Eric slays everyone he sees, burns the village down, and manages to hack into Satyricus' own um, fantasy over here. (sighs) Which, unfortunately, makes him have to hack down Chiron as well. I mean, it makes for great visuals, but it makes for a sad satiricus. But that's alright, folks, because they both come out of their stupor and enter into the lair of the Serpent Lord, as was told by the title. The Serpent Lord is holding uh, their two friends captive. Alcind and, uh... Oh, God. Why do I never remember the name? Anyway, the Serpent Lord says that if Eric exchanges the sword for their lives, he'll let them go. Eric tosses the sword as it lands in front of the Serpent Lord. The Serpent Lord sends one of his minions to grab hold of it, which of course activates a trap. This sword is not meant to be possessed by those of evil intent. And it wipes out all of the Serpent Men, save the Serpent Lord. Serpent Lord makes a grab for the sword. Eric also makes a grab for the sword, and the two fight over it. Their wills clashing in an amazing feat, though. The Serpent Lord keeps hold of the sword. Eric keeps hold of the flame, which forms its own sword in his hands. Erek takes the holy heavenly fire and not only melts the sword in the Serpent Lord's hand, but runs him through with it. And as his quest is over, he releases the flame to return to high heaven. All four of our uh, would-be hero-ish people, they run out of the Serpent Lord's lair before it crumbles back into the desert. However, looking at the sands after everything has settled reveals a set of footprints showing us that the Serpent Lord has indeed Okay, so That was some good stuff, folks. I know my synopsis isn't really great, but I mean, I'm going to be honest this is a fun story. Not a lot happens in it. And I know it sounds like Oh, you know, they got this big double-size issue. It's an annual. It's going to be all kinds of stuff happening. Plot-wise, this is really low. There's not a lot happening, folks. It really isn't. And that's not a bad thing. At all. The story is kept neat and tidy. It's focused we don't have to bounce around between 16 characters. We only have to know what Eric and Satyricus are up to. And it is so good. The story itself is action-packed. The plot is wonderful. It is, you know, it, it's drawing together, tying up loose ends. It's a conclusion to a story that had been running through several issues of the comic and it's such a wonderful sounding quest. You know, the our our hero and his goat legged sidekick delivering a heavenly sword to a practical demon in exchange for the lives of two of their friends. I mean, how is that not sword and sorcery fodder right there? That is just oh I mean I I hate to use this term, but that is Chef's kiss. That, that's perfect. Oh. And to top it all off. Okay. Seriously. The art in this. All the different art teams working on different pages. And some of them are just like splash pages of of stuff like Eric's memories. Uh, like where he remembers Valda and, and growing up. The art is great, folks. There's no complaints in here. Absolutely none in the art. There's really no complaints in the story other than if you don't have the actual, you know, the rest of the issues, then it's it might not make a full amount of sense, but really, you don't need them. This is like picking up the last half of a movie where you can pretty well piece together the, really easily, and it's it's fun. It is a fun story. I cannot emphasize it enough. This is such a fun story. If you are even slightly into the sword and sorcery genre, this is one that will draw you in. You will have so much fun reading it, because you already know these characters without knowing them. Eric is your brave warrior from another land. Satyricus is his uh, comic relief sidekick who manages to do a few heroic things along the way. What else can I say? This is by far a perfect issue, I do believe. I know this is a pretty short review for it, but this is a short story, and I have nothing else to really say other than... Definitely seek it out, especially if you're an Eric fan and you don't have a full collection. But even if you are completely new to Eric, this is a great one. I mean, I would honestly suggest you start earlier in the series. But, you know, like I said, this this happens somewhere around issue 37 or so. And the, the series itself only runs 50 issues. So, yeah, I mean, if you're going to get started on Eric, look earlier. But this is fun. I cannot stress it enough. This is fun and exciting, and and I blew through it, and I really wanted to read it again as soon as I was done. And that is no lie, folks. Oh, so... Normally I give you a literature recommendation or a movie or something to check out in addition. And I really don't know of a character exactly like Eric that that fulfills the Native American thing and and all that. There are tons of, you know, shirtless sword wielders, but if if you're looking for something to fit this mold, you're Gonna have probably have to dig a little deeper than what I know of. So for a similar type of adventure, though, probably some of those like Sinbad Ray Harry movies. You know, that, that would be kind of on my mind, something like that. Or maybe um yeah, yeah, let's just stick with that. Let's let's go with Sinbad. It's and in fact, you know what? if we're going to stick on with Sinbad, let's go with the Adventures of Sinbad TV series from the uh, the late 90s. though the one that had Zen Gesner as, as Sinbad. Yes, before you say anything, I know, I know there's like a 95 percent white cast in this for Arabian stuff. It was a different time, folks. But there are some really cool adventures in that. And it's got similar party composition like Eric and his friends that are just different people with different skills from all over. So something like that could work. Give it an episode or two, you know, just something to wet your whistle. So I will take a quick break and be back with the feedback section. Hey you, yeah, you listening to this. My name is Mercy St. Clair, and I'm a trekker. Not a very glamorous job, but not according to some group called the Akadek Gonagon Theater Works. And me, I think your adventures can be very glamorous. Oh, come off it, Molly. What I do is dirty, dangerous, and frustrating. Maybe, but I know I like hearing about what you do, and now other people can as well. That's where you come in, yes, you. The one I started talking to before being interrupted. Head on over to 8TW.ninja and look for my adventures as dramatized by the Akadekagonagon Theatre Works and some guy named Ron Randall. Or else. Mercy! Ron Randall's Trekker, a new audio drama by the Akadekagonagon Theatre Works presented through the Two True Freaks podcast network. Coming summer 2021. Warlord Worlds, a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of Mike Grell, including Warlord, John Sable, Starslayer, Shaman's Tears, and Green Arrow. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. You'll join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in the many excellent comics from writer and artist Mike Grell. Warlord Worlds is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Find us at warlordworlds.com. All right, and we are back with feedback. As a reminder, last episode, uh, my guest, J. David Weeder and I discussed Conan the Barbarian number four from Marvel Comics, which retold the story of the Tower of the Elephant. And boy, did we get a lot of love for that last episode. There were likes, shares, retweets, all that fun stuff for the episode from Billy Delicious, Al Mega, J. David Weeder, Chris Leiden, Max Reads Comics, Weird Warriors Podcast, Future Potentate, King Dinosaur, Radio vs. the Martians, Gene Hendrix, Pat Sampson, Ryan Daly, Andrew Leyland, Rico Compass, Jackson Zelda, The Irredeemable Shag, J- <coughs> excuse me, Dave's Comics Heroes Blog, Spock the computer, destroy it. Chris Buse, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Drew the savage ape man, Gary Mooney, Al Sedano, my Buse cast, John is watching cartoons, Maggie Schaefer Hames, The Hammer Strikes, Warlock Thanos podcast, Bill at Spy Vinyl, Billy Tenerese, or Teniers. sorry if I said that wrong, Billy, Secret Wars and Beyond, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, Bruce Swan, and Longbox of Darkness. Over on Twitter, J. J David Wheeder. you can call him Dave, I have it on good authority, Says, Crom Clinton had me on his Days of High Adventure podcast to talk about Conan. Listen as we discuss the first comic adaptation of one of Robert E. Howard's classic tales of the Hyborian Age. And I sure hope you did, folks. And if not, it's still up there on the feed, so, you know, go check it out. On Facebook, Ryan Daly said, I love that story. I hate that the cover gives away the giant spider, though. Yeah, I think we kind of agreed with that, Ryan. Back over on Twitter, Jackson Zelda said, So excited for this. One of my favorite Conan stories. Continuing on Twitter, Chance Rubbage said, I'd be curious of the viewpoint of those who read these stories by Howard before they saw them in comics. This and Red Nails made Barry Smith's Conan my Conan. A wanderer-slash-adventurer, I think, is more likely to be thin and gaunt and introspective by nature than brutish and bombastic. You got some good points there, Chance. We got an email from Jason Zeller, who says, Great podcast as usual! I enjoyed the in-depth discussion with David Weider as well as the Conan publishing anecdotes, too. I remember thinking the first time I read The Tower of the Elephant that each obstacle Conan faced seemed greater and greater and was wondering what the end boss monster would be. But I was very surprised the one guarding the treasure was the sympathetic character of Yagkosha. First the lions, then the giant spider, then a benevolent elephant-like alien that Conan regrets to have to kill. And no treasure to take, of course. I enjoyed the younger Conan and and trusting his instincts that this creature would not harm him. Yeah, I like that, Jason. I'm kind of with you. It just seemed like you're leveling up further and further into the dungeon. All righty, and that seems to be it for our feedback, folks. I thank you for sticking with me. I'm really glad that everybody just kind of got to hang out and discuss a a fun little story in Eric. Sorry if this didn't really go as long and and as in-depth as some of the other stuff, but Eric's kind of his own thing. You know, it's kind of hard to really go in-depth with something that was created just for comics and really didn't expand out. All right, so what are we covering next time, you might ask? Well, folks, we're going to kind of hop back over to Marvel for this one. And it's going to be, well, let's say unique, because it looks like our short box has given us Dragon Strike number one, the one shot that ties in to the board game Dragon Strike. Yes, if you had comics in the early 90s, you almost always saw a pull-out insert, whatever kind of ad for the Dragon Strike board game. And there was a comic adaptation. Is it good? Is it bad? Will there be some high adventure? I don't know, but we'll find out on the next episode. So, I hope you will join me for more Days of High Adventure. <music>